Welcome into the Double Dribble Podcast. My name's Jordan Harper. I'm joined here by my friend Matthew Landry. We're pro- we're part of the Crimson Crossover, which is a new website dedicated nothing to out Al- but Alabama basketball. We've got coverage year round, whether it's di- during the season, off season recruiting. They'll cover everything that you need to know about Alabama basketball for all you hardcore Alabama basketball fans. Um, a little bit about the website. The Twitter handle is at Crimson X over and the website's crimsoncrossover.com there they'll have forums articles you can meet the staff on there it'll tell a lot about some of the writers um, on there and they're also on Instagram at, at crimsoncrossover as well a uh, little bit of, more about me my Twitter handle is at harpernation24 Matthew here's Twitter handle is at landry1117 you can interact with us on Twitter. We'll more than likely be talking Alabama basketball or a little bit of NBA as well. We're just hardcore out basketball fans. Um, but moreover, we're here to tip, typically going to recap the week of Alabama basketball, whether it's recapping the games or recruiting. We're going to keep all of you up to date um, on everything Alabama basketball. So how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing good. Excited to be here and excited to get this started. How are you doing? Uh, doing well, doing well. Trying to recover from that, you know, heart-wrenching game last <laughs> night. Um, we haven't had many close games like that in a long time um, this season, probably since the Florida game, which went into double overtime where we Alabama mm-hmm. um, consequently lost um, at the end. But we'll just dive right into the, the Georgia game, Matt. Um, what did you see that either concerned you or, you know, made you more optimistic about the rest of the season and overall about what the game, what happened during the game? Well, I'll start with a couple of positive things that I took away from the game, one of which being that we finally saw Kyra Lewis take over and realize that opposing guards in the SEC just cannot stay in front of him. I think we finally saw it click with him during the game, especially in the second half in overtime yesterday as we saw him really just attack the basket and get after the Georgia guards who were trying to stay, trying their best to stay in front of them. Another positive I took out of it was John Petty. He played an incredible game yesterday, did a great job on Anthony Edwards, future number one pick more than likely, and John just played incredible defense, kept him in check, kept him from taking over the game. The one negative that I really took away from yesterday was that the Georgia guards just kind of had their way with Alabama's guards whenever they were on offense. We saw Wheeler have – the game of the year for him. And, you know, it. at times whenever you're playing the top players in the nation like Anthony Edwards, the game plan is going to be to eliminate what Edwards can do and just force the other guys to beat you. Well, the game plan here was more to let Edwards get his and not let the other guys beat you. And we almost saw that happen by the way that we defended Wheeler and Rayshon Hammonds and Crump and a couple of other guys on the Georgia roster. Yeah, there are a few players that had incredible games. Kamara had a great game. Um, he, he's typically just a, a role player, but he finished with 12 points, um, shot a, good, a very good percentage at 66% and 6 of 9 shooting. Um, and like you said, Wheeler, uh, the season high points for him, and he even nearly had a double-double with eight assists. Um, he, mm-hmm. he was a good facilitator. He was a good you know, dribble driver. Um, but, yeah, you're right, they. They held Edwards in check, give John Petty a lot of credit. Um, Herb, Herb Jones, who, who was their lockdown, Alabama's lockdown defender, you know, was out until 
probably to the end of the season before the SEC tournament would have had the opportunity to guard Anthony Edwards. But um, with him out, John Petty has got to be the one to step up. And he, he delivered, man. Um, Anthony Edwards finished 5 of 17 overall, didn't make a single three-pointer all game. Um, he was a force on the boards with 12, 12 rebounds. But um, give John Petty a lot of credit. He, he has folks a lot about scoring on the offensive end, being a key contributor there. But he's having to kind of swap his role a little bit and put a lot of effort into, on defense. And I, I could see early on they ran their form of boxing one. It wasn't the prototypical boxing one, but um, kind of letting Petty follow Edwards around and keeping everybody else inside the arc to um, keep the other guys in check. And it worked for a while. And then you could see Tom Crean made the adjustment after halftime. And they went on a 28-12 to 12 run to start the second half. And next thing you know, that four-point halftime lead, 45-41, ended up being a 12-point deficit in a blink of an eye. Um, and give Alabama credit, they, they fought back from that deficit. Um, Beetle Bolden had made some big shots. Javion Davis had a big dunk um, to bring it within four. And ultimately a back and forth. I mean, this game was all about both teams couldn't make a defensive stop on back-to-back possessions. Both offenses were going to score, were scoring at will. And if a team made a defensive stop, the other team would come right back down and score the next possession. Like, they couldn't string it together. Alabama pushed their lead up to about six late in the second half. But then it, then Georgia hit a couple big threes to get right back in it and ultimately went to overtime where Alabama won basically on free throws. They scored nine of their 13 on free throws. And while they could have put it away a lot earlier – with making free throws in the second half. Um, they, they did just enough to put the game away in, in overtime. And that's a game that Alabama really needed, Matt. And it's a game they couldn't afford to lose. Georgia is at 91 in the net, um, the net rankings, which is a, a key component in the NCAA selection committee's um, criteria when selecting teams to make the tournament. So you can't afford to lose those games. They can't. Alabama can't afford to lose games. Period. But you definitely can't lose. Afford to lose that game. Yeah, definitely couldn't afford to lose yesterday. And that's another big takeaway from yesterday's game is this team's finally won a close game in SEC play. I think the only other close game win we have is Kansas State in the game where we really should have blown the doors off them from the jump. Um, we saw back-to-back close losses against Arkansas and Tennessee at home and. I think the fan base, people around the team in general, a lot of people were starting to get kind of worried about the future outlook of this team for the rest of this season at the least, especially with Herb Jones going down, like you said, and just losing Herb, who's such a team vocal leader, as well as someone who covers up a lot of the flaws that the offense has with the way that he's able to get to the rim, and especially on defense where he's really the key defender, especially in help and especially on ball. Herb's able to take a lot of charges, get a lot of steals, get some blocks. He's able to do a little bit of everything. So losing him and losing one of your key leaders never helps. I think that's a big part of how Alabama was able to lose the games against Arkansas and Tennessee. And most Alabama teams that fans are used to over the recent years under the past regimes, this Georgia game's a game where you see Alabama fold, especially when Georgia starts fighting back and starts throwing the second half. A lot of former Alabama teams fold. And with Nate Oates, it's just something I don't think that Alabama fans are going to have to get used to worrying about. 
a key example of that in the game is Jalen Forbes has a really costly turnover on offense. You see Jalen hustle right back and get the steal back from Anthony Edwards right afterwards. And I think that's a big indicator of the type of player that Forbes is with his work ethic. And it's also a big indicator of the blue-collar mentality that Nate Oates has been at Alabama. And it's a good future outlook for what the team's going to be like as they continue to play hard whenever they fight through adversity. Right. And Nate Oates made the quote um, just yesterday saying, losers make excuses um, and winners do what, you know, change what you need to do to win. And that's what they've done. They've learned from their past mistakes against Arkansas and Tennessee last week where they folded late in games, whether that's from depth issues, getting tired. You saw Javion Davis go down with full body cramps. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gave everything he had yesterday. And Alabama needed every bit that he had. Um, they need every bit from every player that plays because they're only playing with seven, sometimes eight players. So – everything that these players pour into the games is very vital and they showed a lot of toughness as they have all year Um, even in some of the blowout losses you never see them just give up at the end of games they still fight they're diving for loose balls they want that hard hat award and they just they love fighting for the uh, coach Oates like he is a great motivator and he got you can see him get on to the referees like he has a lot of fire in him and you can see that a lot of these these players really respond to him, and they take on his his personality. And I was very impressed with them, as you said, not folding at the end of the game because that's what they did against Arkansas and Tennessee. They just couldn't make shots. They couldn't play any defense um, towards the end, the final two three minutes. Um, but that's going that could be a big big motivating win. Um, we got tough games coming up this week. Uh, we'll take a look at those. Um, we got Auburn in Auburn at the Jungle in, on Wednesday, and every Alabama fan knows that 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 is the worst place to play for not just Alabama teams, but for opposing teams. Um, Auburn rarely loses home games. Now they they squeak by LSU in overtime on a game-winning floater by Javon McCormick um, on Saturday. Um, I mean, th- this is going to be a tough game, Matt. And Alabama going in with only with only eight players. Um, Auburn rolls about nine, sometimes ten deep. Depending, I mean, Devin Cambridge has come on. He he plays very well at home. Um, seems to shoot the lights out at home, and does the exact opposite away from home. So mm-hmm. look for Auburn to have a lot of key contributors um, this game. And Alabama's going to have to have everybody contribute from Alex Reese to Jaden Shackleford to Jalen Forbes. will get, you know, even if it's 10 to 15 minutes, he needs to give the best 10 to 15 minutes he, he has in him for Alabama to have a chance. What are your thoughts on this game and what Alabama needs to do to win um, on the road at Auburn? Yeah, like you said, in past years, going into the jungle for anybody, and especially Alabama, for Alabama fans' memories, it's not easy to win there. Like you said, Auburn pulls off the one-point win in overtime where they storm back in the second half to get a big win, where Jalen McCormick almost had a triple-double, one rebound and one assist away. And um, I think it's just Alabama's going to have to shoot the ball well to have a chance in this game. Auburn shoots a lot better at home than they do on the road. Alabama played great defense whenever Auburn came to Coleman back in January and rebounded well. 
Um, Austin Wiley is going to get a ton of offensive rebounds if Alabama does not put a body on him. That, mm-hmm. That's been a big issue for this team over the past few weeks is boxing out and securing each defensive stop with a rebound. That's been a big issue that we've seen. And if, if Alabama doesn't box out in this game, it's going to be a long one for the team. I, I do think if Alabama can get hot from three, they have a shot. I think Petty's going to have to have one of his best offensive performances we've seen in a while. We're going to have to see Jaden Shackleford get hot. Like you mentioned, Jalen Forbes, I think he'll play a key role in this game. He's been a good defender, a good hustle player. He's fought for rebounds every time he's been in the game. It would be nice to see him have a good shooting performance in this game, and I think that could really boost Alabama to having a, at least just an opportunity in this game to keep it close and potentially snag a Quadrant 1A win on the road against Auburn. Yeah, Auburn's definitely going to seek out revenge on that embarrassing 83-64 to loss um, in Tuscaloosa. And you could tell Bruce Pearl was just frustrated. All the players were frustrated. Uh, you had Kyra Lewis, you know, breaking Isaac Okoro's ankles. And you, you see that – they see that on Twitter all the time. And, like, it just replays in their head. People posting screenshots of the box score, um, sending it to fans, players. I mean, don't think it's not in the back of their mind. I mean, this is the iron bowl of basketball, as people hate to put it. And they they remember. And they're going to want to give – Alabama taste their own medicine and beat them just as bad as Alabama beat Auburn. And don't forget that this was a pretty close game up until about eight minutes, 10 minutes left in the second half. I mean, it was back and forth. And then Auburn just couldn't buy a basket and Alabama did what Alabama did. And they made several threes. And then Kyra was getting to the basket. They couldn't stop him. And, the momentum just shifted and there was, there was no change in that. And Alabama ended up pulling away. And one, the one difference I think that's going to be going to be different for Auburn this time around is with the thin lineup that Alabama is going to have, you're going to see them run more in Tuscaloosa. I feel like they weren't running. They weren't being as aggressive as you saw against LSU and the way they were against Kentucky a week ago they're going to try to run Alabama out of the gym and get them tired. And they're not going to end up slowing the pace down, which I think Auburn is at their best when they're playing transition game. Because I see Samir Dowdy floating over to the left wing all the time on transition, and they kick it to him, and he he knocks it down every time. McCormick from three. I mean, Dowdy, McCormick, Cambridge. I mean, there's three, four people um, on that team that just thrives off transition threes but can't hit a setup three um, on an offensive set for whatever reason. So what Alabama is going to have to do is to slow them down on transition, stop the ball and force them to run offense because this isn't the offense of last year with Bryce, you know, Bryce Brown and Jared Harper. They can't just run swing sets and, you know, hit, hit a pull up three or just jack up a three and nail it. They don't have those shooters anymore. So, what they do is they just force a defense to make a decision in transition and either take it to the hole or kick it out for a wide open three. So Alabama's going to have to stop them in transition. You know, playing on the road, cut down the turnovers. I mean, I think the key to success for Alabama this game is to have less than 10 turnovers. That's the, that's the magic number. They average about 14 to 15 a game, keeping it under 10, maximizing your possessions you have are going to be key to winning what could be one of the bigger wins of the season around the country, just 
based off of how tough Auburn is on the or at home, and like you said, hitting hitting the three ball. There's one big equalizer when it comes to home court advantage, and that's the three ball. It doesn't matter where you play. If a team hits 12, 14, 15 threes, it equalizes any home court noise advantage you have. Um, so Shackelford, Teddy, Kyra has to get going from three. He's been struggling recently. And Alex Reese has been struggling from three. So these guys are going to have to play their best game of the year collectively for Alabama to really have a chance um, on the road at Auburn because this would be the signature win of the season for this team that desperately needs one on the road. Yeah, this would be the kind of win if Alabama can pull it off that puts them in legit tournament contention once again after two losses that shouldn't have happened against Arkansas and Tennessee last week. Um this is the type of game that if Alabama wins, they, they have a lot of confidence moving forward, getting back to road wins against one really, really good Auburn, a team that does at home, and against a good young team that played fast-paced like Georgia. I think this is a good test. Like you said, keeping turnovers under 10 would be ideal. I think that gives Alabama a great chance to win the game. Uh, another key for me personally, you cannot send Auburn to the free-throw line. It's not a great free-throw shot. But it's always different at home. Mm-hmm. We can't get with our depth, we can't afford to get in foul. We can't afford for Javian Davis or Alex Reese to get in foul trouble and have to force five guard lineups out there whenever Auburn's going to have Austin Wiley and Anthony Macklemore ready to go, and both of them staying rested with only having playing one at a time most of the time. And another big key is that. While we're staying out of foul trouble, we've got to play physical. We can't get punked out of this game. We can't let Auburn just be more physical and manhandle us down low. We can't, like I mentioned earlier, we can't let Austin Wiley have his way on the offensive boards. If if that happens, it's a recipe for disaster for Alabama, and they have a shot to get run out of the gym if they don't box out and if they get in foul trouble early. Let me ask you a question. Like, Obviously, this Auburn team is still really good. I mean, they're – what, 21-2 and two now. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be overlooked a lot. Like, even when they were – I think they were 15-0 and 0 coming into Tuscaloosa before they lost. And they still wasn't get, weren't getting any love, mainly because they played a fairly weak non-conference schedule. A lot of pretty good mid-major schools, but they're still mid-major schools. Um, not a lot of – hardly any, you know, good to decently good high-major schools. But they've been really overlooked. They weren't getting ranked above, you know, some other schools where I feel like they should have for the longest. Um, but what is the difference between this Auburn team and last Auburn, last year's Auburn team, outside of, you know, losing arguably the best point guard in their team's history um, and Jared Harper? They don't have that floor general um, like they did last year's kind of um, guard by committee with McCormick and Dowdy. But watching them, their style, what, what do you think is different with them? Well, one thing I think is definitely different, and it's like you said, missing Harper and Brown are two huge losses. But like Auburn is really missing the presence just as much as they want us to. player played himself to be in a pretty high pick going to Orlando where he's having a redshirt season this year before starting his contract next season while he recovers from that torn ACL. 
But Chuma was very integral in that NCAA tournament run that we all know about from last year. Chuma grabbed rebounds. He pushed the tempo. He he was the real leader of that team. And I feel like th- this year's Auburn team is kind of just missing that leader. That leadership aspect is lacking. Um, they have a what I think is a lottery pick in Isaac Coro on that team. But Isaac Coro is not a great offensive player. He's an unbelievably great defensive player. He's probably the best wing defender in the league, him and Herb Jones battling out for it. But he's not a great offensive player. I don't think they have a guy that they can turn to and just go get a bucket whenever they need one like they've had in the past with Jared Harper and with Bryce Brown and with Chuma. I feel like this year's team's really just missing that go-to pressure, go-to leader. Um, but I, this team is very complete. This is a great defensive team, one of the best in the league. Um, and one stat that I had written down about Auburn is that three of their last four games have been won in overtime. The only mm-hmm. one that wasn't won in overtime was Kentucky. They went to double overtime on the road against Ole Miss and got a win. Beat Kentucky by nine at home right after that. Then earlier this week, went into Bud Walton, which one of the toughest arenas to play in in the SEC. Got a win by three in overtime. Then beat LSU by one in overtime at home. as They now are in a three-way tie for first with Kentucky and LSU with the tiebreaker over both of those schools. So this year's Auburn team, is it's different than what we're used to seeing from Bruce Pearl's squad from last year, but it's still a very complete team. They're a lot bigger than some of their opponents. They rebound the ball well. Like you said, when they play in transition, it's a scary team to go up against because their guards are quick, and Samir Dowdy is a great three-point shooter in transition. But I, I don't think this year's team is playing as fast as we saw with Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. I'm not sure what the reason for that is. I think just losing those two very talented, experienced guards is – it's hard to make up for that whenever you lose that much scoring and that much tempo and that much leadership. Yeah, people were wondering how this team would be without those three players. And I, me being one of their critics early on is I didn't know where they were going to find the scoring from. Like you said, Isaac Okoro, I knew coming out of high school, was one of the best high school defensive recruits of the season, or in that class. But Purifoy's never been a big scorer. Wiley – for whatever reason, they don't go to him a whole lot. He's not a great scorer. And then he has some unknowns in Dowdy, McCormick, McLemore, and a couple other additions in Cambridge and Flanagan that just you didn't know about, Jamal Johnson being one as well. It was who was going to step up. And really, nobody has stepped up. They've just all accumulated together and played as a team. Last year, it was Jared go get a bucket or Bryce go get a bucket or Chuma. This year, you never know who's going to beat you. I mean, a different player can score 20 any given day. And like you said, with the leadership, there isn't a solidified leader. Isaac Okoro is a freshman. You rarely see freshmen become a leader um, in their first year. Typically, it's someone like a senior in Austin Wiley. But none of these guys seem very vocal. And that's why they, they, they can start slow on the road. Um, they, they got down pretty big early to Ole Miss, I think close to 20 points. And on those three overtime games you mentioned, they were down by double digits at one point or another in the second half in all three of them. Yep. Like they, they were struggling. But then again, they all came together in the second half and said, we're not losing this game. And they went out and took the game. A lot of people can say that those other teams, you know, crumbled late. But I feel Auburn ends up making the plays needed when they need to. 
because you could see at the end of the LSU game, LSU got a kind of got a little complacent and just let McCormick pull up and hit three threes in the final minute to force that overtime. And I mean that that's what they do when it gets into crunch time. They they hit you, and you have you have to take the hit or get up and stop them before they punch you punch you first. Um, because if you don't, they they will attack you, and they're just a tough team to put away. I mean, the whole time I was watching Alabama up, you know, 12, 13, 14 points with five minutes left um, in Tuscaloosa, I still felt Auburn was going to make a run because that's typically what they do. Um, But Alabama did a good job of making buckets. That's the way you counteract that is just to keep the pedal to the metal against them because once you let up, um, they will take advantage. And another game this week, which is – a huge game because mainly it's a home game and it's a revenge game for Alabama flipping the script here. Um, Alabama got embarrassed at LSU. They were tied 21 to 21 um, halfway through the first half, ended up getting outscored the rest of the half, 30 to 12, 30 to 12, the final 10 minutes of the first half ended up being down 51 to 33 at the end of the first half in Baton Rouge. And that was pretty much the end of the game right there. Now, Alabama did fight back in the second half, outscored them by four. But LSU was just too dominant in the first half, and it was too big of a mountain to climb for Alabama ultimately. And the main takeaway I had from that that first game, I'm not going to harp on this game too much uh, to kind of get looked forward to the game next Saturday. But Alabama only shot – 40%, 41% from the field. They only shot 10 free throws, but they shot 38 threes and only made 26% of them. You're not going to win on the road shooting 10 of 38 from three, only shooting 10 free throws, and when you're only making 41% of your shots. Not when you hear these stats from the home team, shooting 50% from the field and 95%, 19 of 20, from the free throw line at home. You're not going to win too often on the road with those flip, you know, split percentages. LSU did stroke. They're not a good three-point shooting team. Only hit three of 16 that game. But, man, they were just dominating inside. Um, Emmett Williams, Darius Day had a great game. I mean, everybody in their lineup scored, starting lineup scored 12 or more points. I mean, it's a balanced effort when you play these guys. So, what do you see that Alabama could do differently that could, you know, flip the script per se and do what LSU did to Alabama and Baton Rouge? Cause they're not going to dominate them on the boards. Like LSU did out rebound them 49 to 31. Alabama's going to have to play up tempo and speed LSU up into making tough shots. So what do you see that Alabama can do that can, um, you know, seek an act revenge on LSU? Yeah, well, one big thing is to not get out rebounded forty nine to thirty one. That's I, you, you can't let that happen. Whether you're the home team or the road team, LSU had fourteen offensive rebounds. You mm-hmm. can't allow that to happen. Emmett Williams with two, Trenton Watford with two, Darius Days with two. You can't allow these guys to those three forwards combined for six offensive boards. It seemed like a lot more whenever we were watching that game. Alabama cannot get out rebounded by eighteen boards if they're going to win this game. The biggest positive coming out of that LSU game, in a game where there wasn't a whole lot, Alabama only had nine turnovers in that game. 
see very often, especially with this Alabama team where they don't turn the ball over a lot, that they're able to get blown out somehow by a team. It's not characteristic of Alabama to shoot nearly 43s and only make 10 of them either. So I think Alabama shooting at home should have a lot better of a performance against a really talented defensive team. Skylar Mays is a great defender. Trenton mm-hmm. Watford adds good length on defense. Emmett Williams is a dog. He'll go get rebounds. He'll guard the perimeter. He'll block shots down low. He does a little bit of everything. Another big thing is you got to limit Emmett from scoring 23 points. Emmett had a field day against Alabama the first time we played him in Baton Rouge. We, we've got to defend him better. Another big thing is we've got to get John Petty involved in offense. John came off the bench that game, played 33 minutes, shot one of seven from the field. That's not very characteristic of John. I, I do believe that if Alabama can shoot the ball well in this game against LSU, they could surprise some people by keep, get, making this game closer than it should be and possibly getting a win. On Ken Palm, they have Alabama projected to – get a win by one point in what I believe was an 85 to 84 projection. And Alabama, they shoot the ball well at home. They've got a really good shot to get a signature win against a very good LSU squad that could boost their net rating. It'll boost their Ken Palm ratings, and it'll give them a resume-worthy win for the tournament committee to look at and say, this Alabama team's beaten LSU and they've beaten Auburn at home, while also getting road wins against a Georgia team that's not great, but it's still a quadrant two win. It's a win on the road in a close game where you fight adversity. And it, it's a game like this where Alabama has a really good shot to leave a mark on the for what should be a CAA tournament team down the road if they take care of business. It's a game Alabama really could, really, really could use a win. Oh, this would, that, this would be what the doctor ordered. If Alabama does lose at Auburn, which is – Let's be honest, more than likely, based on how Auburn plays at home and how Alabama plays at Auburn, um, bouncing off of that to win against LSU, who's you know top 25 team at home, would be a huge resume booster, a confidence booster heading into what is the softest part of Alabama's schedule after um, LSU, which they only have one game the rest of the way where I feel like they'll be underdogs at Mississippi State. But, yeah, rebounding is going to be the big key here. Um, Emmett Williams and Trenton Watford both combined for 26 rebounds last, last meeting. Um, worth noting that Javian Davis um, only played seven minutes. Um, I think he was working back um, into that game, didn't play a whole lot. So that would be some added length and size um, to the lineup. And the way Javian played against Georgia, I mean, he – he played like a dog. I mean, he got he got after it. He got after rebounds, attacked the rim on the pick and roll. I mean, he could add a um, a key element to this game to kind of counteract LSU's dominance and rebounding because LSU's not a very big team. Like they're they're all across the board between six four and six eight, and they just have a lot of length and athleticism. So if you can counteract that with you know getting a butt on someone and boxing out, uh, getting a body on them and I mean, force them to foul you if if you have to. I mean, they got um, Darius Days in foul trouble last game mm-hmm. or the last meeting, and he, he wasn't a huge factor, but he still scored 12 points in 16 minutes. I mean, that's still pretty efficient. But if you can get some of these bigs in foul trouble, whether using the pump fake down low or getting them to foul on an offensive rebound, I mean, that could be a huge difference in this game because, I mean, LSU is not a very deep team either. They typically play five to seven players, but 
their starting five is as good as any starting five in the league. And Alabama's going to have to put together, like we said, against Auburn, they're going to have to put together one of their better games of the season. And I look for John Petty to play a lot better. Like you said, he had a bad game. Um, didn't start that game for, you know, a coach's decision. So look for him to come out more fired up against LSU. Uh, just show them who he really is. And if he, I, I had a feeling if he would have been a bigger factor in that game, the game would have been a lot closer than what it was. So look for Alabama to come out a lot different against them and – it'd be a totally different ball game. I think it's going to be a, a close game to the end. Yeah, gonna... I think so too. And one other thing just before we move on to remember about this game is it, it's Trenton Watford's return game to Alabama. Alabama oh, yeah. was very involved in Trenton's recruitment, really wanted to see him in crimson and white. We all did. This is a game where the players are going to be motivated to play. I mean, Herb Jones, who's out for the that game, but he was very good friends with Trenton. John Petty, very good friends with Trenton. Kyra Lewis, very good friends with Trenton. These guys are going to be excited to play against their friend Trenton Walker. The, the Coleman atmosphere is going to be great on Saturday. I, for anyone listening to this, if you don't have tickets, buy a ticket for this game. Make sure you make the trip for this game. The atmosphere is going to be electric. I know the student section is really excited to kind of chain at Watford and get this game going against LSU. And I think it's going to be a very electric game. I think it's going to be a close game. And I think it's a game where Alabama really might be able to pull this out. Yeah. And again, it's Saturday at 3 o'clock in Coleman Coliseum. Alabama takes on, you know, now number 18 LSU. They're sure to fall after their loss against Auburn um, over the weekend. But, yeah, it's going to be a great game. I imagine Coleman's going to be sold out. Students are going to be raucous. Um, and also, Trend is probably going to have a lot of family there. So, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a big game for, for both teams because LSU is going to bind for the number one spot in the SEC now with a three-way tie between them. LSU and Kentucky. We're going to kind of we're, we're going to have a segment on this podcast every week to update on recruiting. Now, right now, there's a lot. The basketball seasons for high school and junior college are still going on. Um, I know here in Alabama, there's you know they just completed area tournaments and they're going to start go start doing um, sub regionals next week. So there's not a lot of recruiting news per se because players are focused in on their visit or on their their high school teams. But we'll still give up, you know, a segment for information that we may get on certain recruits that may be, you know, visiting or any news we may hear. Because Coach Oates, let's be honest, he, he's going to be successful here or he's going to fail here at Alabama based on his recruiting. Because at Buffalo, he really didn't have to recruit the best talent, per se, to win in the MAC, But – here at Alabama, you're going to have to recruit the best talent. I mean, even Avery Johnson, who had a top 10 class um, his second year here, I mean, he he ended up not being very successful, but he had the talent in place to make the tournament and ended up winning the first round of the NCAA tournament against Virginia Tech, ultimately losing to Villanova, the eventual national champion. So recruiting is going to be a big part of Nate Oates' um, tenure here at Alabama. And he he has one commit, Keon Ambrose, um, a, a player that both Matt and I are very high on. Um, kid out of Canada, he he he's a dog, man. We we use that term a lot, but I mean that sometimes that's all you have to say about him and or a player. Uh, he gets after it on the boards. He um, he's a very good scorer around the rim, and I mean he's just versatile. He he can be a good 
defender, and that's something that Nate Oates looks for in in his team or in his players that he he looks for is long, athletic. Um, you got to defend first, and someone that's going to be very versatile on the offensive end. And um, Kian's, you know, right outside the top 100 on rivals at 101, um, six foot eight, 185 pounds, and Watching him on Team Canada, the under eighteen, he he's super athletic. Um, what do you see out of Keon when you watch his film? Yeah, like you said, he, he's a versatile player. And he, standing at six eight, he's someone who I know he said in interviews with reporters that Nate Oates just kind of sold him on the idea of being a guard and a forward, someone who could almost play kind of a role like Herb Jones, but a much better shooter than Herb. Uh, Ambrose is—he's a really solid shooter. He's someone who's going to be able to stretch the floor. Whether he's if he's playing the four, he's someone who can be a stretch four. He can also put the ball on the ground and attack. And he's going to be—he has the potential to be a mismatch problem for opposing defenders. I—I I believe that Nate Oates and his staff are great at developing talent. We've seen it with guys like John Petty, Alex Reese, and some others this year. The jumps that they've made with the new coaching staff, and I believe Keon's got a lot of room to grow in his game. But like you said, he's he's someone who gets after and he's an intelligent basketball player. And that's one of the biggest things that Nate Oates is looking for in recruits is someone who understands the game and they're coachable and they they play winning basketball. I think Ambrose fits he fits all those check marks. And I think that he's someone who's gonna come in and if he puts in the work, Oates is really gonna be able to develop him to be a player who can be an instant impact guy his freshman year going forward. I think Keon's going to be able to bring a lot of versatility on defense, be able to guard hopefully two through four, which would be incredible to throw that wing teams. I mean, think about this. If Keon can be a very good defender and an active defender next season, you can have him, Juwan Gary, and Herb Jones all guarding on the perimeter and threading really good length and making it hard on opposing offenses. He's also a guy who's going to be able to rebound. He's going to help Alabama a lot in that category. He's someone who's tough. He's going to play hard. He can shoot the ball and score the ball whenever he feels the need to, and that's something that Alabama's – always going to be looking to get more of in NATO's fast-paced, high-possession total environment here at Alabama. I think Ambrose is going to be a really solid player. I think that Alabama got a really good player. He may not be ranked extremely high on these recruiting services, but Oates is going to get the guys that he knows will fit in his system, and I think he did a good job finding Ambrose. Yeah, Oates is going to be a guy that won't always – he may get a top 50 guy every now and then, but he's going to be the guy that – the kind of coach that goes after his guys and knows what he has in them and knows what he has to do to make them as good as they can possibly be. And Ambrose is one of those kids that's kind of overlooked. I mean, I said he's from Canada. He is. He played on Team Canada, but he currently goes to Andrews Osborne Academy in Willoughby, Ohio. But he's going to come in and he's going to he's going to have a chance for early playing time. He he's going to battle guys like Jawan Gary. James Rojas, Herb Jones, if he stays, uh, he he's going to have some good players in front of him. But he's a tough player, and he's he's going to he's going to push those guys, and that's what this team needs. They need guys that are going to push for playing time, make the person in front of them a lot better, and that's how I feel Keon's going to be. And Alabama just recently gave out a offer this past week to Keon Ellis, and. Keon is a JUCO shooting guard, junior college shooting guard from Florida Southwestern State um, in Florida. They're, they are the number one junior college basketball program in the country. And 
got to talk to you know, Coach Murphy down there at um, Florida Southwestern, talked to him a little bit about Keon, and he said Keon is just a a hardworking player that really improves his game from year one to year two. And year one, he only averaged, I believe, about eight points and shot about 29% from the from three. Um, he played behind two two guys. Um, they ended up going to power five schools, most notably Charles Manning Jr., who plays at LSU now. And he got his time to shine, and he he ran with it. And that's when you know you have a good kid and um, with a good head on his shoulders. And he put in the work. Uh, he, you know, he's about six six. Roughly, you never know how. Um, you know, these sites they they list them at the weight, but he's roughly about six six, six seven, one hundred eighty five pounds, and long. That's the first thing I think of when I watch him on tape. On tape, is he's long, has a very long wingspan, and he uses it to his advantage. And defensively, he is an animal. And playing the shooting guard position, he averages, you know, two blocks a game. That leads his team and averages, a, you know, a steal and a half. So he's going to be a big threat playing against shooting guards. You, you don't see very many shooting guards at that height. I mean, you see them typically around 6'3 to 6'5. So he's going to be a threat to, you know, get some steals, get in the passing lanes and, I talked to Keon earlier today, and he said that's one thing he works on is just being a disruptor. He wants to be a disruptor on defense, and that's what he's been doing. And he, the main, the main jump he made from freshman year to sophomore year was his three-point shooting. He went from making less than a three a game at 29% to making nearly two a game at 43%. I mean, that's a huge jump that shows the work he really put into it. And he averages 18 points a game on the number one Juco basketball team in the country, who's 26-1 and one now. And I know you've watched film on him. I um, brought him up to you the other day and told you more about him. Um, so what did you think when you watched film? Was what I said pretty accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the head on the nail with him. I think he's a – very talented athletic guard. He's going to play a lot of the two and three here at Alabama if he was to commit. Uh, one thing I'm really interested to see about this 2020 recruiting class, just off topic from Ellis real quick, is how many spots is Alabama really going to have? And it's a big thing that has to be taken into consideration whenever we're talking about the few prospects we have left that Alabama's really in on. But Ellis is a great player. He'd be a great addition to Alabama, especially for next year's team. The, the thing I love about him the most is his defense, like you pointed out. He's a dog on the defensive end. Like you said, he takes pride in being a disruptor. Whenever I was watching this film, there was countless times where you see him reading the eyes of the ball handler, the passing lane at the perfect time to get easy looks in transition after the steal, where he's he throws down some highlight dunks. I mean, Keon is very athletic. He's a great player. He does a great job in the half court. He can get to the rim, and he can dunk on people. He can also – he's a crafty finisher. He does a good job of – making sure he takes care of the ball around the rim. Um, a really good three-point shooter, like you pointed out. He put You can tell he put in a lot of work to improve that jumper and from three-point range. He's shooting the ball, like you said, 43% from three. That That's incredible no matter what level you're playing on, especially with the amount of volume that he gets and averaging just under 19 points a game. I think he's a really – could be a diamond in the rough. Doesn't seem – he doesn't have any other power five offers, right? No. Oh, he doesn't. He – 
he let me know that he he does have some offers from like you know lower middle schools like Eastern Tennessee, um, places right. like that. But he was very excited with Alabama's offer, as he is with every offer he gets. He's very humble kid, very genuine, really nice, and he he was very excited with the Alabama offer and plans to make make the trip up to to Tuscaloosa sometime. Hope either near the end of the season or um, once the season ends for sure. So. He's excited. He says he has a good relationship with the staff, and they they are showing real interest in him. And um, you know, he he thinks they're very genuine people and good coaches, and feel like he's going to be a perfect fit there. And we'll we'll see how that works out. We'll hopefully have an update on on him in the next coming podcast. But we're going to transition here. Go really quick to a little bracketology update here. Um, I know the fans like I put po- I post you know every after every game, uh, whether they win or lose, I'll, I'll tell you where they are in the net update or net rankings uh, when they update. And then I'll kind of give you percentages to go off of since it's kind of hard to go off of um, because you got to keep track of where all the teams are on the bubble where Alabama is right now and see how they're doing and where they're trending. So it's hard to keep up with. So I kind of try to break it down into simplematic form to kind of give you an idea of, what's ahead for them and what they have to do to make the tournament. Now, hopefully in the next few years, we don't have to worry about that. And Nate Oates, I have this program to where, you know, they're making the tournament, just what seed. But right now we're, we focus on what they have to do. And right now, I think, you know, we talk about it all the time. They got to get to 19 wins. And that means that they have to go six and two in their last eight games uh, before the SEC tournament. I'll always win an SEC tournament games are a plus and um, will help in any case of making the tournament. But I mean, just looking at the resume, their numbers are great. Um, have a, the, you know, the 20th ranked strength of schedule, non-conference strength of schedule is 33. I mean, those are, those are pretty elite right there. And they're not bad in Q1, quadrant one and quadrant two games, which are, you know, games either on the road or at home against top competition. They're five and nine, but their back end on quadrant three and four wins or their record is eight and one. So they're kind of staying away from those awful losses um, as some of the teams they lost to earlier um, are really improving. But they really need to get to 19 wins. Team Rankins has them as 97% chance to make the tournament with 19 wins. What do you feel like they need to do to – make the tournament. Yeah. In these last eight games, if Alabama can go six and two, I think they're in the tournament because one of those wins would be either at Auburn hosting LSU or at Mississippi state. Any one of those three is a huge resume booster. As long as Alabama takes care of business against teams, they should beat, like Texas A&M at home at Ole Miss and then hosting South Carolina and Vanderbilt and, finishing the season sweep over Missouri at Missouri, which won't be an easy game. If Alabama take care of business against those five teams, they're in a good position with 18 wins going into the SEC tournament, really just lacking another marquee win outside of Auburn to where I think at 18, you're having to win definitely one, possibly two games in the SEC tournament, depending on who you're getting matched up with to get into the big dance. But if, if Alabama can go six and two with those two losses being Two of at Auburn hosting LSU or at Mississippi State, I think Alabama's in the tournament with six more wins. Yeah, winning one of those three games is going to be crucial. Um, 
they really have to do that to kind of keep them themselves out of the scenario of having to win one, maybe two games in the SEC tournament, which would be tough because the first game may not be that that tough. You know, you're going to probably face someone like Tennessee or Missouri. Um, but that second game, I mean, you're going to be playing either Kentucky or LSU or Auburn, and that's no guarantee win at all. No. So making sure you finish this season strong to kind of have it wrapped up before the SEC tournament is going to be big. And like I said earlier, after the LSU and Auburn game, they're only expected to be underdogs in one. And that's probably going to be at Mississippi State where I expect them to be, you know, a two, maybe three-point underdog. But, yeah, man, losing that Tennessee game and the Arkansas game just hurts really bad right now just because it forces them to win out at home. Um, They have no margin for error. They have to pull it out against one of these good teams either on the road or at home. So – that's kind of where they're at um, in terms of the NCAA tournament. Um, it changes all the time, but right now 19 wins is going to be the magic number. So any any wins they have going forward is just, you know, make, making it that much easier on themselves. So um, obviously we'll all keep track of that, and we'll update it every week until the NCAA tournament, and hopefully we'll be talking about an NCAA tournament here, game here in the next three to four weeks. But we, we appreciate y'all joining us in for the Double Dribble podcast for Crimson Crossover. Um, once again, make sure you visit the website at crimsoncrossover.com. Hop on the forums. look Read the articles that our great writers put out. Um, Twitter handles at crimsonxover, all one word. And hit up the gram at, at crimsoncrossover. Um, they post good photo edits um, on there and keep you updated on there as well. And once again, I'm Jordan Harper and joined by Matthew Landry. And until next week, adios.